All right. Everybody have a good week? Yeah. Pretty good? Anybody have a tough week? Yes. Okay. Well, that's good. Well, most people probably had a tough week, but we don't say that as, we don't say that as easily. We, we put our church face on and, oh, yeah, everything's good. I'm fine. Um, but there's a lot of struggles. Um, and so we want to come to church, and we don't want to feel burdened coming to church and hearing God's Word. That's, if, if you're preaching grace, if you're preaching the gospel, you should leave here uh, feeling freer, feeling loved, forgiven. Um, I mean, that's the bad news. We all have struggles. But God, he, Jesus said, in this world you will have troubles. We come to church to remind us what the other part of that was. Jesus says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So take heart if you've had a rough week. Uh, we're going to talk about an encouraging topic today, that's death. Um, so, I mean, and I say that jokingly, but really, it should be. I mean, I think we need to take a little a look. As a pastor, you're involved in, in death a lot, in funerals, you're by bedsides of, of people that have died. And sometimes I think we, um, one, I talked about this a long time ago. There was a, a, a piece, an article came out from Dr. Watson in the middle of the pandemic. And he said this, this pandemic has revealed some things about the body of Christ. He was probably talking specifically Methodist, but I think he said about all. all. He says that our lack of connection or understanding, he said different things, of, of the resurrection, of eternal life, of communion, of community. There's a lot of things that he said uh, that this pandemic has revealed about where our faith is. And I think death does that quite a bit. Um, you know, because we, we take this life for granted, that it's just always going to be there, that, this, that we're always going to be at this place, at this age, in this situation, um, and it's, it's just going to happen forever. We might not think that. We don't think about it a, a much. But if we were honest with ourselves, we, we kind of take it for granted. I was watching Jumanji with Brody the other day, and uh, that's, if you don't know, that's where you get these people got stuck, these high school kids got stuck in this game, this old video game, and they got to go through the jungle and take the secret jewel and put it in the lion's head and all this stuff. But they're in the game, and they, when they come in the game, they have three marks on their arms. And just like any game, that... Uh, means that's how many lives you have. And when you lose your last mark, game over. And you wouldn't think of it in Jumanji, but there's this poignant little moment where he had one life left. And he was saying that I need to live this fully. I need to do all that I can to value this. And life is a gift. Um, and sometimes I know I, I do. I take it for granted all the time. And I let little problems become much bigger problems than they need to be uh, because I, I have a, a 
a blinders on about this day and this right now and this problem and this issue, instead of just saying, you know, it's amazing. Life is amazing. I was talking to somebody on the walk, and we were just talking about uh, evolution and, you know, creation and all that good stuff and have people's different views on that. And they say, well, creation's just crazy. You can't think about that. But evolution's just crazy, too. We are on this rock in the middle of uh, infinity. I mean, it just blows your mind if you think about the big picture. It's not which crazy thing do you want to believe. They're all crazy. It's unbelievable that we exist and that we're here. It's just overwhelming. When I was a kid, I used to have this, uh, and I think this, there's some spirituality stuff involved here because it was before I was a Christian. But I used to think about, I could do this. I could make myself just freak out, even if I was awake. And I'd think about my house. I'd think about my town, county, state, country, you know, world. And when I, when I got out into infinity, it would just overwhelm me that it made no sense. My, my, that didn't compute that there was no boundaries, there was nothing out there, or I don't know what's out there. It's, it's just overwhelming. It's crazy. It's all crazy. So this is a gift. And we have to be careful not to take it for granted, but also understand that this is part of our process, especially in in where we live now in this world, in the sense that we have all been born into this world. Scripture tells us that this world is a sinful place. We can see that definitely. Um, And while we're on this the Wesley, this, one, this is not very Calvinist for those that know this, but this is very Wesleyan. And there's this ember, there's this um, reflection. I mean, it, it, it's distorted. It's not what it's supposed to be. But there's this little image of God left in there and this little light. And if you come to Christ, and this is my gym theology, so... Just take it with a grain of salt. If you come to Christ, you, you have this life where your physical body and the spirit ember is there, and you have this life, this chance to get reconnected to the very source of light and life. And when you do, that is restored, and it is connected for eternity. And so those are things we don't often think about. Oftentimes, our discipleship in churches has come down to um, a self-help program to make you feel better about yourself, to, to, uh, you know, to improve your personality or character. When we're talking about eternal life and resurrection from the dead, it's easily, that easily goes by us. But that is the foundation of our faith, and I think part of sanctification is the reality of that becoming clear to you. Remember, I say this all the time, with the difference from the bumbling disciples in the Gospels and the bold disciples in Acts is two things. 
They saw the resurrected Christ. They experienced the resurrected Christ. It was beyond a shadow of a doubt to them, the resurrected Christ, and they received the power of the Holy Spirit. So the resurrection is the foundation of our faith. And we need to make sure that that's where we keep it. Because that will change everything, how we view everything. It was so important in Corinthians, it was a troubled church anyway, but you know, some of them were talking about no resurrection from the dead. And, and, and Paul in chapter 15 says, what are you talking about? Our whole faith is built on the resurrection from the dead. He says, if there is no resurrection, then we need to be pitied because we're foolish. Because our whole faith is built on that. And sometimes we want to shy away from that because we don't understand it. But I'm telling you, you want a firm foundation. You want discipleship. Understand and grasp that our, our whole faith is built on the resurrection from the dead eternal life with God, the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit. Now, do I know what that looks like? Do I know what that is? Absolutely not. I preached Melton's funeral, my mom's husband, my stepdad, and I talked about things I knew I, 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 that I don't know, and that list is really long. And I talked about things that I'm sure about. I don't know what heaven looks like. I don't know what it's going to be like. I don't know, but I'm sure that I'm sure that I'm sure that it's real. And part of that has come to me with my experience with death. Our scripture today is about Stephen's death. And it um, talks about, I'm just going to go into it. You can put it up, but... He, he, he gives them a very um, stern, blunt speech about their lack of faith in murdering Jesus, which they didn't take kindly to, and so they began to stone him. And we see um, in our scripture in verse 55, it says, what happens in the midst of his death? He's about to die. He's in that, in that situation that they're turning on him. They're getting ready to stone him. And what does he say? He looks up and he sees the glory of God. He's full, it says, of the Holy Spirit. And he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. That's pretty powerful. And let me make one note. This is the only place in the Bible where Peter, I mean, Stephen, is about is standing up, the first martyr. He's, he's standing up for the gospel, and he's telling it like it is, and he's going to die for it. And what is Jesus doing? Only time in the gospel, Jesus is standing at the right hand of God. He's standing. And th that image is with me in my times that I've been involved and seen firsthand and been by bedsides of people that are dying. And I can't always explain it. Sometimes I, there's miraculous things of grace that happen that I can't explain. Sometimes it's just a feeling. But I know, 
I said, when I read that, I said, that describes what I feel. I don't know, I don't see it, but boy, I, I feel the Holy Spirit. I see the glory of God. I feel the glory of God. And I know that Jesus is standing ready to receive. Whether it's a, a death uh, that goes quietly or in um, Stephen's case, a violent death. In the midst of this violent death, there is peace with Stephen. There was a time I talked about a little bit about Milton with my mom, and she, there was this moment where he had, he had stopped eating, and he was struggling, uh, but he wasn't conscious, and he was um, struggling breathing. Anyway, we, we got him fixed up, and he was at peace, and it was kind of dark in the room, and my mom goes, look at him. He's beautiful. I was like, oh, okay, mom. Uh, but, but then I looked at him. He had this look of peace and this glow. I mean, she said that, and I was like, yeah, he does. His hair was just, it looked like an angelic figure rested. And it was only in that moment, before it was struggle, and after that, he began to go downhill. Again, I don't know, but I know I felt it. The Holy Spirit, the glory of God, and Jesus standing, waiting to receive him. I haven't talked about my dad very much, but he's been dead um, since 2000. He grew up, my dad was good guy, partier, softball, partier, southern Indiana guy. Good heart, wasn't wasn't a Christian, um, but was a good guy. And um, in 2000, I was moving my family to Florence, the Austin area, to start my master's program, changing jobs, changing churches, moving my family. So out of like, you know, there's seven life stressors, major life stressors, I had like four going on at one time. And in the midst of that, um, we left in June. In March, my dad got a diagnosis of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And the diagnosis, my dad was one of those small town guys, oh, it's it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. So I I never knew if he was telling me the truth. But he did come out and tell me he wouldn't let me go to the doctor with him. But he said, oh, he said it's stage four slash five. And my, mom, my wife's an internet doctor. Right? You're, you're a real nurse practitioner, but my wife's an internet doctor. And she had been studying that stuff, and, she, and I was like, oh, there's no such thing as slash. It's either out or it's in. So anyway, so my, he had the diagnosis. He was fine. Didn't, was going, he started some treatment. Wasn't going to, you know, they were talking four or five years battling the disease and so forth. And my dad never wanted to be in the hospital, never wanted to be tubes and that kind of stuff. And so we move and it's July and my aunt calls me one day and I'm stressing big time about this move into ministry, changing jobs. I'm anxious. And my aunt calls me in the morning and goes, no one told me to call you is probably not a big thing. But I just wanted you to know, uh, 
Gary, my uncle, um, my dad's brother, he took him to the hospital. He was having some kidney pains or something, and so they're just looking at him. And I was like, hmm. And be honest, I was looking for any excuse to get out. So I told Des, I said, my wife, I said, I think I better go see my dad. dad. He's going to the hospital. It doesn't sound good. And so she goes, okay. So I headed up to Dallas. It's mid-morning now. I get to Dallas, and I talk to my uncle. And he says, well, it's, the doctors are a little worried. This was about noon. I haven't left yet. And I have to wait for my flight a few hours. And then the flight's almost full, and I'm flying non-rev. And I talked to my uncle, and he says, Jim, you better get here quick. It was going that fast. And the flight was full. And I didn't know if I was going to be able to get on. So I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit or what. I said, I got up there, and I'm not a big crier, especially in crisis situations. I'm a fixer. But I was talking to, but this had went from zero to 60 real quick. And the stress was building up. And so I was like, she's like, I'm sorry, it doesn't look good. It's going to be full. Well, could you please, is there any way? Because my, and I started crying. He's like, okay, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Just stop, go away. So to cut to chase, and then a few years earlier, my dad went on a walk that I worked. And he started back at church, and he got baptized. And um, I got on the plane, got to Indianapolis. My brother was coming down. Somebody came to the hospital or airport to get me, and we we got everybody that was coming got there about right at the same time, about twelve o'clock at night. And the doctor was saying, "Time to say your goodbyes." And they said, well, we'll talk about some stuff in the morning, but you need to talk. And my dad was awake. He was cognizant. He knew. Uh, he's, I can't tell you what he said, but he's, Jimmy, what the, are you doing here? <laughs> and so we visited, we talked. And this was very unusual for my dad's side of the family. My uncle was there, dad was there, my brothers were there. And I said, well, let's say a prayer. And so a family that doesn't pray gathered around and we prayed. I said, amen. And my dad said, amen. And we left. Next day, he was dead. He passed on. But there's a lot of grace and power in that story. From where my dad was to where he was when he, when he passed on, uh, that I got to be there through all that mess, that my aunt, who's not very spiritual, called me and just had this nudge to say, I'm just telling you, there's no reason if I wouldn't have had that. There's all kinds, and, and the last words that I heard my dad say in this world were amen to a prayer that I said. And I could tell you all kinds of stories. An Alzheimer's patient woke up one time. I, t- I think I've told some of you individually. He had been at Alzheimer's for five years, never had a coherent 
conversation with his wife for five years. 20, the night he died, 20 minutes that afternoon, they had a coherent, clear conversation. He had gained all his faculties back, and then they were gone. The point is, We serve a risen Savior. We don't have to be afraid of death. I know it's, it's scary. It's not unreasonable to be, because it's, it's more the fear and the anxiety about the unknown than it is about death. We serve a risen Savior. And that, if we really, truly believe that, that's going to inform how we approach everything. Our fears, our anxieties. How we face death. And it's a huge, when a Christian, with Milton's passing and how he faced and how he passed is how it should be. Not everybody gets that but it was a witness to the world. He said, I'm not going to the hospital. I'm not going to have my last months or year tied to tubes and machines. I know where I'm going. I'm straight with the Lord. I'm going to be at home. And that confidence and that came not from him, but from the resurrected Lord he serves. And that's where we get wayward. We put too much confidence in us, in the things of this world, in the life that we have, instead of looking forward to, you know, nothing here is going to overtake me because I know in this world we have troubles, but Jesus has told me, has told us, but take heart, I have overcome this world, and that's sin, and that's violence, and that's death, that's disease. I have overcome all of it for you. There can be a time of our biggest witness. And I pray that each one of us would not hide from the things we don't understand, but embrace them. That's where faith comes in. I don't know a lot about heaven. I don't know about the death experience. I don't know anything about that. But I'm sure I can trust Jesus. And I'm sure that he is there in those times of death where you are, the Holy Spirit is full. God's glory is shining. And Jesus is standing waiting to receive us in a place that he has made for us. Let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Thank you for your love and your patience with wayward people. Lord, we live too much for this world. We have too much faith in ourselves and others. We rely on materials for peace and happiness. And in the end, we take none of that with us. So, Lord, help us to seek you now 
the peace and the joy and the relationship that is eternal. Help us to start storing up our treasures, not in this world, but in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.